0: It is great to be here to have a full house on a family Sunday. This has got to be the fullest that we've been since something spiraled out of control last March, so it is good to see so many people in here again. So the text that we're going to study today can encourage every single one of you, multiple age groups, right, on a family Sunday, regardless of your age. So seniors that just graduated high school, this is for you. This is relevant for you. We talked about those who are going to be going up a grade next week here, Promotion Sunday. Kids, this is also for you. And then those of us more experienced that might not have been in a classroom in a few days, adults, we're not trying to just survive, but to thrive. This is definitely for you. So today, we're going to look at how to consider life's trials, what we should ask God during those trials, what we should believe about god and about the trials that we're in the verses that we're going to cover have been very near and dear to me based on both application uh, in my own life and also being able to teach them a time or two over the years so first introductions i know we have some visitors so my name is brian davis i'm one of the elders here and i r- realized when all the seniors were up here i thought wow i've been at this church longer than they've been alive so that was that was a great feeling but i've been here prior fellowship for 20 years um, by day, I'm a finance guy, I'm a certified financial planner, so I spend more time helping people talk about retirement, and what does that look like, and how do we get kids through college, and how do we you know, live and give more to charities, ministries, things like that. have them been to seminary, and I'm not on staff here, but I have walked through these verses. I have lived these, they have been near and dear to me, and so I've been praying that they would also become impactful for you as well. So today we're going to look at how we should respond when we face the trials and troubles of life. So I want to start by having you picture a taxi cab. Picture a taxi cab. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say taxi cab? It's yellow. That's right off the bat, right? Yellow. I always think that's going to be expensive. Like they're not cheap, they're not free. And then some of you are like, "What's a taxi cab? Is he talking about Uber or Lyft?" <laughs> so, I'm just curious. This this calendar year from January 1st, anybody actually been in a cab this year? Oh, one person, all right. And that's, there goes the industry, the taxi industry. Yeah. Hence the Uber and Lyft reference. Okay, so well, we all know what a cab does, right? So picture this scene. You know, you're in New York City, crowded street, chaos. Maybe it's raining and storming like we've been seeing you know, around here for seemingly for a very long time. We, we're like, I need to get from here to there, you know, somewhere else. And so there's taxis everywhere. And so what do you do? Well, what you've seen in the movies, you walk to the edge. The street, you're on the curb, and you go, taxi, right? And I actually watched some videos on YouTube about this, and read some, there's actually articles that tell you how to effectively hail a taxi, and they say, don't whistle, because that's just in the movies, and that's dumb. And But they say, you know, when you spot somebody, lock in on them. Like, okay, I just saw you, you saw me, yeah, you're coming to me, get over here. And like, that's what you're supposed to do, is lock eyes and make eye contact with them. And that lets them know, I'm I'm counting on you, I'm expecting you. But if you think about it, Hailing a cab is actually just an act of faith, right? You haven't signed a contract. There's no guarantee. You haven't paid them yet. And so you're actually just going on faith that this is going to work, this little visual dance that we're doing, and you're going to come and you're going to take me where I want to go. Well, the Bible's version of hailing a cab is actually much easier and much more certain than what we just described. There is no guarantee the taxi driver is going to do what you want. But in the Bible, it says if you ask, you will receive what you asked for there's no question about it so today we're going to be in the book of james okay our students seventh through twelfth graders hopefully your ears just perked up because we've been studying james down in junior high and high school for the past couple months so i know you thought you were done with tests i know you're already in summer mode but i have a few questions for you pop quiz seventh through twelfth graders who wrote the book of james james awesome all right good who was James' most famous half-brother? Jesus. It's like the one time I can say that in church, and it's the good answer. It's the right answer. That was. That, yeah, that's exactly correct. His most famous half-brother was Jesus. Who was another half-brother of James that has a letter in the New Testament? Ooh, more tentative. I heard somebody. Jude. Jude. And lastly, okay, what is the theme of the book of James? maturity and maturity matters okay so that's what we've been talking about 7th through 12th grade so today we're going to be in james 1 verses 2 through 8 so let me just read those to us as we get started he says consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete not lacking anything If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So here you have a well-known text, key words in there that we just read, joy, Trials, tests, maturity, wisdom, belief, stability. This is a great set of verses that will get you through your life's stiffest challenges and tests when you're trying to get from here to there, like in a taxi cab. However, the cab that we're talking about here in these verses is consider, ask, and believe. Consider, ask, and believe. So let's start our journey back on chapter 2. I'm sorry. Verse 2. Again, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, right off the bat, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. This is a family Sunday. This is a senior recognition Sunday. Why do we want to talk about trials? Well... Why would I burst your bubble and tell you that life's hard, the things that happen that aren't fair? You're going to have trials of many kinds, not just like a trial, be on the lookout for it. No, many kinds. I know I know this isn't news to you, though, right? Even, even kids in here, you've already faced trials of many kinds. But students, I hate to tell you, as you get older, as your web of relationships and experiences and responsibilities expands and gets more intertwined, there's more opportunity for trials of many kinds. So, these are well known verses, easy to read, but really hard to put into practice. So, let's break this down a little bit. Trials are a part of life. We see this in Scripture. Just a quick memory recall walking through the Old Testament. Abraham, right off the bat, called to go and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Moses, wandering in the desert, 40 years. What about Job's afflictions? All of his possessions, all of his family taken. Except his wife, maybe that was part of the affliction. Um, In that particular case, okay. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, David, David, hunted by Saul from cave to cave, you know, for years. What about Peter? He was being—he was told that Satan demanded to sift him, and of course, Paul, the thorn in his flesh, asked for it to be removed. It was not. So trials should not be unexpected. And what did Jesus say about trials? Well, Jesus, our high priest, whose scripture says has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What did he tell his disciples? In this world, you will have trouble. Yay. This world, though, is not our final destination. This is not our end point. This is just a prelude as to what is to come. We're supposed to long for what is in heaven in this life we will have trouble you know we often consider trials to be a stumbling block something that we want to avoid at all costs just even talking about it's like why do we want to talk about this well god has ordained trials to be one of the sovereign means by which he brings about maturity so let's talk about this joy aspect a little bit james says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds you know i read that, that has always been challenging or maybe even I don't know, confusing to me a little bit but James says this is the first thing that we need to have when encountering trials is a joyous attitude and this is similar think back to what Paul said in Philippians 4 he's talking about his joyous attitude he says I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances and he says it again in the very next verse he says I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation it's a learning it's not natural And this is just a handful of verses, though, after Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. So lots of joy and rejoicing going on and contentment. When he wrote this from where? Philippians was written from prison, right? Yet he could write that. Warren Wiersbe, his commentary on this, he says, this is really good. He says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. That's well said. So he's saying that if we can't rejoice in our trials, the problem is actually not that we're in trials, but the problem is that our values are wrong. We see them wrong, wrongly. So, it's very important to know what you believe, and it's also important to believe what you know. So, look again at verse 3. He says, Consider it pure joy because you know. He's appealing to what we as believers know to be true. And so, what, what as believers do we know to be true? Well, we know that God has a purpose, He has a plan to our trials, He has a plan for the suffering that we encounter. We know He's sovereign. We have 66 books in one manuscript that speak to his sovereignty and his love for us. So we know that to be true. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So here, temptation and trial are actually synonymous. So there's one way that we know that there is purpose in our trials. God tells us he is in them he has a plan, and he has a purpose. And so what is his purpose? What's he trying to achieve in us and through our trials? Well, back to verse 3. Perseverance, or endurance, or steadfastness, and never quit, never say die attitude. And so what does perseverance do for you then? Well, what's its purpose? The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So maturity is the ultimate goal. We know that there's a purpose. The purpose is perseverance, which brings about maturity. So speaking of knowing things, these, these twin ideas about testing and perseverance and how they bring us forward, grow us, mature us. Students, what did, you guys all just finished class, right? What did you do? Did they come to you the last day and say, well, you've been here all year. You get to go to the next grade. You had to take these little things called tests, right? And you didn't just have to take the test. You had to pass the test you had to complete the test you had to show that you had grown that you had learned that you had matured that you had progressed throughout the year and that is how you're able to take next steps of maturity you had to pass and complete your test adults in the workforce what do most of us do every year we have some kind of an evaluation a performance evaluation a performance review we had to show here's where we are Here's what we're working on. Here's what we've grown in. Here are areas that maybe we've identified we still need to learn and grow and improve on. We have to pass an assessment. We have to pass a test. We have to show that we are maturing and growing in our job and offering more and more in what we do. So we instinctively know this. This is how our society is set up to function. It's very biblical. There's learning, growing, developing from one day to the next, one year to the next. So you're going to have opportunities to learn and to grow. Like just this summer... You're going to have opportunities to exercise your own perspective to consider something that you're going through some trial to consider it good something your flesh won't want you'll want to avoid you'll want to get out of it as soon as you can but you get to consider it good because god's in charge he has a plan and it's to grow and to develop you those of you going to college it's going to be great you're going to be excited you're going to get there potentially some of you're going to have roommates that you think oh my goodness, how did I end up with this person? I did the match, I got in a Facebook group, or I I went online and filled out these preferences. How did I end up with this person? This roommate is going to be horrible. Or you're going to have a hard time making friends. Or you're going to have classes that you think, "Uh, wow, how was I supposed to be prepared for this? Or believe it or not, students, you are going to miss your parents. You're going to miss home. You're going to have trials. Adults... Well, we, one of our challenges might be financial, right? Because we're sending our kids off to school. We have to pay for that. Maybe a financial challenge, health challenge right around the corner, a relationship that suddenly flips and goes bad. You start hearing things are being said about you. They're like, where in the world? Where did this come from? You're going to have opportunities to consider and change your perspective. But you can't just do this in and of yourself. Like, oh, it says consider. Well, you do have a role to play. We have to consider. We have our own perspective. But as you consider... God's plan does the work it's supposed to do. God's plan must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But clearly it's not easy. You don't just have this come in your head and then immediately come down and reside in your heart and oh, it's all going to be worked out. Head knowledge doesn't give immediate obedience and heart acceptance. So fortunately, we have verse 5. John MacArthur actually called verse 5 one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. So let's look at verse 5. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So part of considering should be recognizing that you need help. You don't have it in you to make it through all of life's challenges on your own. They're too big, too hard, too numerous, they sneak up on you, we get overwhelmed. We need supernatural power, and not just supernatural power, but wisdom from an omniscient, all-knowing God. Trials are meant to make us more complete, more mature, more Christ like. Well, that involves us coming closer to Christ in the process and becoming more Christ like. So, as we see here specifically, we need the wisdom of God. We're told to ask God for wisdom. So, just because we ask, does that mean we will for sure receive? What's the condition found here for receiving wisdom? What does it say? We have to ask. The main way we will not receive wisdom then is if we do not ask. It's pretty clear. So if I were just to paraphrase this verse, I might say, ask and it will be given. Sounds kind of like what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So let's look again at what this James verse says, it says, If we ask, God gives generously to all without finding fault. So the mind games that we start to tell ourselves when we think about this, we're like, oh, but I have to get cleaned up first. I, I have to get farther down the road before I ask. That thing I did last night, is that God still remembers, so now I can't ask yet. He's not going to grant this request for wisdom. You don't find any of that here, the things that we get burdened with. You don't find that in this verse. This verse tells us that no wisdom needed for a believer's perseverance through a trial is ever withheld from one who asks. That's what it says. However, always a however, right? It's important to know this admonition to prayer is not a blank check. What does James say a couple of chapters later? He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So for these prayers to be honored, they need to be prayers for God's purposes, His wisdom. Wisdom that leads to maturity, to completeness, to Christ likeness. So that's what James is saying in in chapter five. He says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So your purposes in asking for wisdom need to align with God's purposes. You know, this is not a lucky rabbit's foot, a lucky charm, a magic eight ball. You're praying for wisdom to endure trials. To achieve maturity and to grow. You're not praying for a new BMW. Nothing wrong with a new BMW necessarily, but that's not what these verses are telling us. So we have to ask with proper motives. And just going through this, it made me think about prayers that I used to, to offer up as a kid all the way through high school. I, I grew up in an unbelieving household. I went to church once my whole life before I, high, before I went to college. But I went through a period where I prayed actually pretty consistently. I mean, I'd been to church once, didn't have any concept of God, no belief, no Bible, and I went through this period where I was praying. What was I praying for? I remember back, like, my grandparents had a farm in Oklahoma. He, my, grandfather, my grandpa had a tractor. I desperately wanted a tractor. He had a three-wheeler. Oh, I would have loved a three-wheeler. I had cousins that had four-wheelers and go-karts, and that was my prayer life. Every night, Lord, would you please give me a four-wheeler or just a go-kart? It would be so much fun. And that was my prayer. Hardly the prayer of a righteous man, huh? In fact, looking at what, he, what James said in, in chapter 4, I did exactly what it says. When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives. I didn't even know who I was asking, but just, you know, some God. Well, you think God honored those prayers? What do you think? No, not so much. He did not. Uh, I, I, you know, I had some paradigm that included God, but didn't know anything else about Him. But, Since then, coming to faith, maturing, growing, learning what God says in his word, I have certainly come to God asking for wisdom and maturity and help through life's trials, and he has absolutely responded, rightly. Okay, so let's go to the next qualification for asking and receiving, the next step of maturity, found in verses 6 through 8. So when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I actually don't think this verse or these verses need a whole lot of explanation. They're pretty clear. The one who wants to receive James wisdom must what? Believe. There's our B. Consider, ask, believe. You must believe. James paints a pretty clear picture of someone who doubts in God's abilities or his willingness to provide. How many people do you know like this? Before making a big decision, they ask everybody in their family. Then they ask everybody in their extended family. Then they ask their friend group. Then they ask random people on the street. You know, I'm, I'm all about collecting data points. I want to get people's opinion that I respect and help make a big decision that way. But this is not painting that kind of uh, asking about. This is, this is painting a big doubt. Um, it's like people go out and put a Facebook post on, what should I do about this college or that college or what major should I pursue? Friends, is God sovereign or not? Yes. Is He in control or not? Then when you seek for guidance and wisdom, when you ask Him for that, believe. Believe that He says He's going to do what He says right here, that He's going to do what He says. Believe it. When you start wondering and doubting, is God really going to do this? Is he really in my best interest at heart? Or is he really in this? Can he do this? I think about what Satan whispered to Eve. Did God really say? And then here come the doubts. You question. Some of you are doing this right now. You're hearing some some of this truth, and you're thinking on the one hand, oh, this would be amazing. I really should trust God. I can really step out in faith, confidence. But then you're also thinking, yeah, but... Does he care about this relationship? Does he care about my major? Does he care about where I'm going next? Does he care about my career? Yeah, he does. He cares more than you do, actually. Uh, believe it or not, he created you, he loves you, he cares way more about all the details than you do. So consider, ask, and actually believe that he's going to lead in these areas. Stop doubting. Stop coming and going like the waves of the sea that James is talking about. I picture this tide coming in and coming out. When high tide comes in, we're walking by faith. We feel good. We're confident. And then it recedes and goes away. And then, oh, no, we're in fear again. And we're lacking everything and no confidence. And we're questioning everything. In and out like the sea. Don't be like that. Be confident. Don't shrink back. Walk forward in faith. So why is this important? Why am I emphasizing this? Well, just like God promises wisdom for all who all who ask, he promises you won't receive anything if you doubt. Do you notice that direct contrast? He says, those who ask, he gives generously to all. Those who doubt will not receive anything or nothing. These words are direct contrast, and they're pretty compelling. So to wrap these verses up, in case you need more motivation to endure, Aside from successfully and joyfully maturing and persevering through life's trials, James ends this section in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We who love God have eternal life waiting for us after we have finished the race that God has set out for us. We don't have eternal life because we've persevered through life's trials. We have eternal life because we believe in Jesus as our Savior. And because we're walking with Him and we believe Jesus as our Savior, we're able to endure life's trials. That's a very important distinction. James is very clear elsewhere in his writing that salvation comes through faith. The doing and the going forth and the persevering through trials are coming as a result of our faith and they're maturing us in our faith, but that is not what provides our faith. Our faith is found in Christ alone. For the joy set before us, we endured this life, and that is our reward of blessing. So we consider, we ask, and we believe. That is God's taxicab. Consider, ask, believe, and expect the greater reward from it, this eternal blessing he's talking about. So I told you at the beginning that these verses are verses that have been very near and dear that I had walked through. I want to share a little bit of, my, of a personal story, because many of you have stories, different terms, different circumstances. it would be very similar to this, though. Two years ago at this time, I was standing up before you, and I had crutches and a walking boot. This is a picture of A day that I broke my foot, and one of my kids was being very helpful there, helping me walk along in my newfound crutches and walking boot. We had been on a little one-day vacation, and I broke my foot. And so I'm up here, though, you know, doing announcements, trying to cast vision, crutches, and I made a joke. I said, hey, you think I look bad? You should see the other guy. But what you didn't see, though, was actually underneath my shirt, I had a vest with a portable defibrillator strapped to me. And in case you don't know what a defibrillator is, like in the movies where someone's having a heart attack and they grab the paddles and they go, you know, everyone clear! And they shock them, you know, to, to put their heart back in rhythm. I had one strapped to me and I had a little fanny pack that had the batteries and the charger for it. And I never said anything about it, but I felt so dumb. Like, you all are out there like, doesn't he know fanny packs are so 1990? Yeah, I knew that, but it had equipment in it that I had to have. So why did I have that? Well, Christmas Eve... So right before that, Christmas Eve, the end of 2018, in between work and coming here for a Christmas Eve service, I went on a quick run, trying to squeeze a run in, and all of a sudden something started happening that had never happened before. I started getting so dizzy, so lightheaded, so—had such a hard time, like, kind of breathing that I thought, I can't make it home, but I had to get to church, and I didn't have time to walk, but I couldn't keep running, so I got her—my daughter came and picked me up, and I got here to church, and— you know got cleaned up came to church everything was 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 fine but then every time after that that I would exercise same thing dizziness lightheaded like feeling really weird like can't catch my breath heart beating really hard well started doing some tests finally I kept exercising but it wasn't going away it's like huh maybe I should see a doctor so I started doing some tests a couple of cardiologists found out that I was having ventricular tachycardia so your heart was getting out of rhythm bottom top beating differently and it was actually spiking out my heart rate spiking up to 265 which okay so you do know that's not normal right okay 265 is a little bit higher than it should have been like 200 beats higher than it should have been um so that's what i found out what was going on get to so i get end up getting referred up to a cardiologist at the mayo clinic um because here believe it or not 46. I was 46 at the time. Medically, that's still considered young sometimes. So, kids, I know. But I was 46. They're like, hey, you're active. You're fit. You want to remain active and fit. Really, all we could do here is implant a defibrillator. So the one I was wearing on the outside, they stick in. So when your heart gets out of rhythm, it shocks you and shocks it back into rhythm. And like, I really don't want that either. And so they sent me to the Mayo Clinic. Um, Aaron went with me. We were up there for a week. They do a bunch more tests. But before I can get there, I'm wearing the fanny pack and the, the vest and all that. I break my foot. So actually, I don't just go to the mail to have the heart looked at. I'm going to hobble up there with a fanny pack and crutches and a boot. And then I leave, fanny pack, crutches, boot, also with a defibrillator implanted. It was a really great time. just kept getting better and better. So that's where I was. But the goal was to be able to get restored towards some level of activity, exercise, the things that, you know, I wanted to do. And that was the goal. I still couldn't run because my foot was healing. But after a while, I got clearance to go on a bike ride and start cycling again. Second ride out, I get shocked twice within about 10 seconds by this defibrillator. And people like, want to say, how oh, does it feel like to get shocked? The common answer is it feels like getting kicked in the chest by a mule. I would say it actually feels like an atomic bomb going off inside of you, and I'm, I'm not kidding. It's just like, it's the weirdest feeling ever. You don't know what's coming. You don't know how many shocks you're going to get, but it's this thing that goes off inside of you that you don't have any power or control over. It is odd. But they're able to tweak it, which is weird. Remotely, they can tweak what's going on inside your chest, but they tweak that, Medicine gets tweaked. So some of the medicine only kept me from sleeping all night. Other medicine made me depressed, and some of it just made me lethargic. So that was going really well. But we worked through that too. ICD got dialed in. Medicine got dialed in a little bit well, a little bit better. But the trial goes on. In fact, just this week, uh, Wednesday of this week, Mayo Clinic calls me. And when you see that on your caller ID, like, oh, I should answer this. They're still monitoring because my ICD sends up data every three months. And they said, hey, we see some concerning stuff here. Uh, such and such date, such and such time. What were you doing? And I look at my little log. Oh, I was running. They said, yeah, you almost got shocked. <laughs> oh, that's bad. But I didn't. Praise God. So the trial goes on. And this isn't a trial that I asked for. But you know what? If I hadn't had it, there's so much of God that I would not have seen. There's so much growth and maturity and faith and belief that I have that I would not have had any other way. And I wish I could share. I'd love to share. You're like, please don't share. But there's so many things I would love to share about God's faithfulness. So the the one that I would say is, actually, and it sounds weird to say about yourself, but the fact that I'm actually standing here and I'm alive, according to some of the male cardiologists, they're like, that's amazing. You should be dead. And they said, because I was having this tachycardia, the 265 spike, you know, multiple times over every single time I'd exercise, and my heart always managed to reset itself before I had this ICD put in. And they said, you should be laying alongside the road somewhere. I'm like, well, wow. praise God that I'm not. But there's so many other things like that where I saw God move and I saw him act. He developed perseverance and maturity and faith that I would not have otherwise had. To this day, I am absolutely still learning to be content. I think that's why paul used that word learning it's a process there's not a day that goes by that i don't think about it Seatbelt goes right across the icd backpack right across it kneel down to put my shoe on i bump it on my knee wrestling with the kids i bump it wow oh, that hurts it's there every single day but like james i'm doing my best you can ask my wife it's a, it's a process i'm doing my best to consider it joy because of what i know about god and his word So that's how I persevered through this, because of his word, scripture, admonitions, the encouragement of friends, prayers of friends, seeing many of you who I know are going through things worse than what I just described for myself, and we keep trying to do life. I persevered. I kept going to work. I kept trying to do what I was called to do here at ministry, still on the elder board, still trying to lead. That's how I think God calls us to persevere and to fulfill our calling regardless And James is right. It's been a blessing. So your tachycardia, your arrhythmia, is different than mine. Yours might be cancer. Yours might be divorce. Yours might be a financial meltdown. Might be something with kids. Kids, you might have relationships where people that used to talk to you, like now they don't give you the time of day. They say things about you behind your back. Like, where where does this come from? You have your own tachycardia, your own arrhythmia. Things are out of sorts. But you know what? God is not. Trust him. Consider, ask, and believe. And he will give you the ability to persevere. He will give you the wisdom and the faith to persevere. So next time you're in the midst of a trial, you're either in one right now, you know the saying, or you just came out of one, you're about to go into one, consider, ask, and believe. Let's pray.